This episode is brought to you by HP Instant Ink. No one is reading your mind, but HP Instant Ink knows when your printer is running low and sends new cartridges before you run out. So you never have to think about ink. For details, visit hp.com slash instant ink Spotify. Conditions apply. This episode is brought to you by PayPal. These days, choices are everywhere. Like, for instance, the milk in your coffee. Would you like it from a cow? A nut? A tree? Everyone wants options. And now your customers have a new option in the way they pay. With PayPal in person. Just generate your unique QR code in the PayPal app for them to scan. And start accepting PayPal in person today. Learn more at paypal.com slash US slash get QR code. Uh, welcome to our Washed Up Emo podcast. I believe this will be episode three, if not our counting's off. Um, I'm Tom Mullen. I run washedupemo.com, and I've worked in the music industry and labels, and this is my outlet so I don't um, hurt people during the day. So as with me, uh, with me, as always, is Ray Harkins. Ray, are you there? Ray is driving today. <laughs> uh- Actually, I drive every day, but I am currently <laughs> driving because I was so excited to participate in this uh, particular interview. So, Awesome. Well, thank you for being here, Ray, and uh, please enjoy the uh, whatever highway you're on, whatever number. Um, oh. Oh, oh, I will. It's the 405, and oh, it's such a pleasure. <laughs> nice. And uh, our special guest uh, today is uh, Paul um, Fisher, and Paul... Uh, worked at some labels you might know if you uh, follow the website follow the site uh, crank records and uh, also ran a better better looking records so uh paul thank you so much for being on the podcast awesome i'm very excited um well i just you know like i said let's sort of dive in really really early for you um what were some of the bands that you kind of dug and growing up and how kind of you got to kxlu and sort of I mean, the college radio was sort of my gateway as well to a lot of things, and how did that kind of come about? Yeah, I heard you guys talking about, like, what you were, like, how it kind of got, like, where you got started on it. Um, but, yeah, I think KXLU really was it for me, too. I was doing college radio. KXLU is, like, Los Angeles um, college radio. And I was doing it in one of my, and just, you know, into just kind of anything. Like, I, I was into indie rock and punk rock and stuff like that. And a friend of mine gave me, like, just turned me on to a split, the Promise Ring Texas, the Reason split. And was like, yeah, you should probably check this out. I think you're going to like it. And uh, the Texas, the Reason side just blew me away. I was like, wait a sec, what is this? Like, because there's something about it that was like, it was, it's like melodic, but then it's still kind of a little bit like punk. And it was just somewhere in between that you're just like, you know, you couldn't, I mean, it, there was, uh, you know, obvious scene, like, happening around it, but it, it was just, you're kind of at a point where, or the music was just kind of like something that I was totally drawn to, like, at the time. So that's that's kind of what started it for me, was that split 7-inch. Like, and not that the Promise Ring side wasn't good, it was definitely good, but the Texas Reason side, I was just like, wow, that's, that's my thing. That's sure. awesome. What was the, did you have a show? Was it that kind of genre or did you have to play format what was the what was short yeah. of your show like yeah i forget like um I, did you have a hardcore show because basically like at kxlu we had a day show so 
it was programming throughout the day, so you just kind of had a time slot, and you just played pretty much whatever you wanted. Um, oh, nice. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we, we had a specialty so- show Friday, Saturdays, Sundays, and during the week up until Friday night was all format, which... All right. But you could play things certain times of the hour, but the weekend, you know, yeah, I had a hardcore show and then like a emo show, or actually a metal show too, which was pretty fun to do. Oh, um, but yeah, I think that the, that sort of free form thing, you weren't sort of, you know, to one genre or one thing, and it must have been, you know, where what what other stuff were you playing? Oh, yeah. From, from that 7-inch, did it kind of catapult to every yeah, other Yeah, exactly. Thing? Like, so, yeah, so we... You know, we um, at the time I was trying to think, you know, you start usually the 2 a.m. to 6 a.m. slot and then you kind of just kind of graduate from there to the day slots. And it was basically what was cool about Cake So you was like literally 2 a.m. to 6 p.m. was, you know, the the kids DJing and they would have like three or four hour slots and just playing whatever they wanted. Plus, I mean, you're supposed to play a lot of new releases, too. Like um, so you had to play a certain amount of new releases during the, your show. But um, so you're exposed to just tons of stuff you know just everything like there's a lot of you know i mean it was everything like merge records you know just all the stuff so my time there was like 93 um 92 stuff like that and then i graduated 93 and then i kept djing probably like on and off like 97 98 something like that so i wanted to say like a lot of that stuff kind of started coming out like early 90s right like i want to say like 94 93 or something like that <laughs> Yeah, I feel like 95, 96, it really started to kind of... But you were definitely earlier than, I think, me and Ray um, yeah. in that era. Yeah, totally. Yeah, I think so. Like, um, and there, it was just... And what was funny is we kind of saw it as, like, a Midwest scene. Like, um, just because of, like, the crank stuff. Like, Vitreous Humor, Boy's Life, and, like, stuff like that. Get Up mm-hmm. Kids, I think. I don't know if Get Up Kids were there in the early part, but, um, like, some of that stuff... And uh, and at the time, I mean, at the time there was like Riot Girl stuff going on. I remember I was dating a girl that was into that, like all the Olympia and Kill Rock stars and mm-hmm. all that stuff. Like I was definitely all into that. And there's a club called Jabberjaw that you just went to like nonstop because everyone would play there. Um, but I remember my first, well, one of the first like emo shows. Now looking back on it, like uh, was Mineral, Christy Front Drive. I forget what it was at Jabberjaw, but those two for sure. Wow. And, and I remember even back then, like, emo had a stigma, like, even in the beginning. Because I remember my girlfriend going, oh, I don't want to go to an emo show. Like, I'm like, really? Like, back then, it was even a stigma attached to, like, the name, you know, the word. Like, God, it was ruined even before it started. I know, exactly. <laughs> and that, those were the good bands, you know? Like, yeah. Those, you know, the classic ones. Um, but I was so excited to see Christy Front Drive, like, and Mineral, too. Um, I mean, both of them, I was just like, I got to go. And I remember I met um, the guy who ran Crank Records there, like Jeff from Jeff Mallow, who ran Crank, Crank Records. He was doing, you know, merch at the show. And I met him there. Um, and it was sometime after that, like, I started, uh, there's my phone, um, <laughs> like a... It's sometime after that, like, I, I just got kind of... Um, I was trying to find an internship and like in I wanted to get into music business like I was definitely like I wanted to get that was something I wanted to do um and so I just started looking into internships and crank with that crank I don't even know how I did it I think I just contacted them because you know buying stuff through their mail order 
And uh, and so I contacted them about an internship, and Jeff saw, yeah, definitely, come on in. So it was just two of them. It was Jeff and Freddie, um, this French guy who's amazing, and he ran, like, the mail order and was just classic, like Freddie's classic. Um, it was just those two guys doing Crank at the time. And I, Power of Failing had come out. Um, they had done, like, the Christy Front Drive Boy's Life um, split. Um, so things were, you know, kind of happening for the label. So I went on, went in and uh, started interning, like, as much as I could. And I would call stores, uh, like, uh, you know, check stock on our stuff. I would do radio. I'd call up college radio and, like, try to bug the music directors, you know, and see, like, how our stuff is doing and stuff like that. And I just got really into it, like. Which is how we met. Yeah, exactly. Right. Totally. Because I was actually, it was, I was trying to think when we had met and obviously it was college radio, but I I was trying to think if I just stalked you or stalked the label, because I think you heard in the last podcast, I told a story about how like I found this box of records and there was all this mineral stuff in there and, and it was probably your handiwork sending all that stuff in. And I must've, it must've been from that, but that I mean, you you had to have felt something with that. I mean, you could feel the movement and those bands sort of getting bigger, right? Yeah. Oh, totally. Yeah, definitely. Like there was definitely like like a theme to it. Like it was just definitely like a theme. And um, you know, because I mean, you had zines and stuff like that kind of around it. Mm-hmm. Um, and those you just kind of found out about other bands through those bands and through the you know as they come through and reading the different magazines that kind of focused on them and stuff like that. And, and college radio, I mean, you know, all the time, like we would, you know, find out more stuff through college radio, but yeah, that, that must've been like, that. I was trying to think too. So I was trying to think like if I knew when you're, you know, working at other labels or like what it was, but it was the college radio. Like, it, it, it had to have been because I think from that record, I must've, I I was actually, on crankthis.com this evening and I was at the links page and I got this sort of flashback to um, looking at these links and I was kind of laughing and maybe you could think about this too and, 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 and this is how I found out about so many bands. Oh yeah. Oh totally. Is that you were like, I looked at, okay, you guys had cursive. Wait a minute. Arches of Loaf, like, I don't know about them, or, you know, Elliot Smith. I, it's just like you could just, all the labels. Like, I was just like, this was my Wikipedia for emo. Yeah. <laughs> it's, so, it's so funny that that links that I'm on right now looking at it. Like, yeah, that it's still there. And that was, that was like, definitely part of our handiwork to kind of, you know, put that stuff up there as, like, links to other stuff that we thought was cool and that, you know, just to kind of, Right, do that. Just kind of spread the word and tell people, like, if you like what we're doing, you're going to like all this stuff here. Yeah. There's some classic stuff on there that is long gone, but it's still linked on there. Well, okay. I actually looked up my makeout club. Uh, <laughs> oh, yeah. This is actually what I spent 10, 15 minutes before. I literally was like, I'm going to see if I'm still on there. And I was on there. And yeah. it's just, that was, it really brought me back to an interesting spot. And I think what kind of crank meant to me and um and how you this label sort of really was one of the one one of the biggest um and you know just the i mean the bands 
just yeah. Boys Alive, Cursive, uh, Fireside, who are amazing. Um, uh, one Line Drawing, The Regrets, Sunday's Best, Vitreous Humor, yeah. Mineral, Last Days of April. That's that's it. <laughs> yeah, totally. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And like, in, at some point, he offered me a job there, um, you know, after like a year of intern or like half a year of in- interning. And I just dropped everything. I was just like, wait a sec, this is amazing. Like, I can actually work at an indie label. Like, you know, before that, I was just like a fan of stuff. And I didn't realize that you could actually, I mean, not a career, not not a nice career, but you could actually, like, have a career, you know, or your day job can be working at one of your favorite indie labels. And it just blew me away. Like, so I was just really into doing that. Like, so, so then for the, I guess... I don't know how many years, like, I want to say two or three years I was there. And it was just kind of like, you know, it was an indie label, like, we're definitely struggling, but we had, like, you know, had an office and, you know, putting out the next Mineral record and the Gloria record and all that stuff. And then uh, our mail order just kept blowing up. And that's how he found out about even more stuff, is like all the stuff that they were carrying in the mail order. Yeah. Um, uh, do you remember, a quick side thing, do you remember when I called you? In co- when I was in college and asking you to tell me the quick, the right pronunciation of the Gloria record. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think so. I, I don't, uh, maybe. <laughs> I literally remember where I was because a friend was like, is it record or record? And I was like, I'll call. That's awesome. And find out. And I think you either you probably hung up on me or somebody did. And they're like, you're crazy. <laughs> like, go away. It was probably um, I wouldn't hang up. <laughs> yeah, but it was. Uh, I just remember laughing about that. The, um, and so I mean that's great. From you know an internship, you know to getting the. I mean that's that that's that music industry sort of way you do it. Yeah, you kinda. show and, and them it's that all like I mean it's struggling. Like it's all about like just not getting paid and struggling and you know. But it was it was fun. Like we would have other interns, like some kids in the like in the area would come in and, um, you know, help out all the time. They're so just into it, you know, just into helping out even the just mundane stuff. Like when we do a college radio mailing sitting there, we would sit there for hours, just, you know, packing packages and listening to music and sending it out or doing mail orders. We'd have stacks of mail orders that we'd have to do. And, um, you know, and just trying to, you know, push it like it was a business, like it was definitely a business. And you felt really like, you know, that you wanted to help out these bands because it, it was really about the music and it was about those bands and making sure that, you know, they're, they're getting out there as much as you can, like for sure. Yeah. And I think the, I, one of the things I was mentioning, you know, to Ray earlier and just talking about this is the marketing and working of those records. Now it's so instant. You could have, you know, uh, now it's like had a band camp account, Facebook page, um, you know, root music page on on your Facebook, uh, a number of different ways, and then and it just kind of brings you back to what what were some of the kind of avenues and communications? And yes, there was you know college radio and and but it was what still is now word of mouth. And I yeah. just when you guys were sitting there with three people just sitting there trying to figure out was it was it people coming to you? I mean, was it touring? Was it friends of a band i mean i always thought it was hey i saw this band on tour you should sign them we yeah play- oh totally it was definitely touring i mean touring was it i remember it so we at some point we had a, a distribution deal with epitaph 
So we're going through Epitaph, and I remember going into Epitaph for like meetings and just being in awe of their setup. They would have like the, they would have these these kids that you know that work there, and they each had like a cubicle, and and each cubicle they had an area that they would cover. So they would cover like I don't know four or five states, and their their job was to hit up press, radio, retail, like everything like in their area like nonstop with the bands they're pushing. It was just an amazing setup. Like these kids are just constantly on the phone and, you know, just having fun with it too, because I mean, you're talking to zines and radio stations and retail Mm -hmm. and it's not, I mean, it's not always fun. I remember calling up retail and, you know, them just kind of going, uh, never mind, you know, just hanging up type thing or, or trying to get in touch with music supervisors and stuff or um, music directors at radio stations and stuff. But, um, but I just thought they had an amazing setup. So yeah, like, in order to get the word out, I think it was a lot of, in the beginning, it was a lot about zines and stuff. And I mean, the computer, you know, the internet definitely was starting to happen. Um, but I mean, I don't know, like I'm trying to think of like some of the stuff, you know, you'd have websites that are more like, you know, web zines. Um, and then you had message boards. I think a lot of people, that's, that was kind of like the social outlet was yeah, message boards. I, I totally agree, Ray. I know we talked about that. I mean, the, I know the Victory Records one, Rev, Revelation right. one. It just, that's how you sometimes found out about shows. Yeah. Oh, totally. Yeah. I'm trying to think of some of the ones I was on because I wasn't on the Victory one or I'm trying to think of Revelation. I remember being on AOL Punk Chat. They had like a punk room. Oh, wow. And uh, that was kind of like, it started off as like kind of message boardy before and then it became more like real time and it was like it was called punk chat and you just go in it and like you know there was like different you know kids that are into punk rock like in there wow. and just, you know just different people just saying whatever but um but yeah i know like in the beginning like it was i mean looking back i'm just like you know how did how did we make that happen because you're right it's it's a lot easier now but I think you have to rise above like a lot of the the noise, you know, a lot more too now. But it's so easy now to have a MySpace page, Facebook, like all that stuff and just really have the music right there in front of people so that if they get any inkling to check you out, they can check you out. Like they yeah. can listen to the music and make a determination right then. I had a, you know, I have bands that um send me records even to this to the website that washed up emo and I'm honored and flattered, and and I get inst. I mean, in two seconds, I have a band send me a link. I listen to all their records. I know what they look like, where oh, they're touring in five minutes, and yeah. and it wasn't like me getting, you know, a letter in the mail and saying, oh, you should check out our band. All right, well, we're coming through wherever the hell you live on this date, and you'd have to wait, and or someone else had a song. It, you're totally. I mean, it's it still needs to be that music part to it and it does need to rise above and i think it's still it's still true i think back then it just seemed to um happen a little slower yeah i think so and i mean you know we would get a ton of demos at crank and we would just have a big box full of tapes you know and every once in a while like in the afternoon we'd be like all right start listening to demos and we just put them on you know and take them off within two seconds or leave it on for a while and i remember um at some point i think um Jeff was trying to sign Jay June at the time, and I think they passed on him, and uh, we were all kind of like, oh, darn, you know, that sucks, because they're an amazing band. Mm-hmm. And um, we put on a tape, and it was like Acrobat Down. Some, it was a band from Sweden, I think, some from Sweden, and just amazing, like 
so killer. So we ended up doing a seven inch, you know, and that doesn't happen a lot. You don't listen to a demo tape and sign a band off of a demo tape, like especially international bands. But this was just really, really good stuff. That's awesome. Um, but yeah, mostly it was about touring. Like you needed to see a band that was active and is going to get out there because that's the only way you're going to sell records is the kid, you know, kids coming out to shows and actively seeing the band. And that's how you, that's how you get college radio to play them. That's how you get zines to write about them, you know, and play it retail to bring in records. Like mm-hmm. at the time when there was retail, like, you know, that was like, you had to have the bands coming into town because then you could call up stuff in that area and say, you know, look, the band is here to support the record. So, you know, you have an excuse to talk about it. Basically. Yeah. I wanted to bring up sort of, we were talking about the, communication and the way that the kind of records were promoted and now one of those things that I think helped crank and the one of the reasons I mean I remember going to a store in Northern Virginia on a break in college and spending money on promise ring horse latitudes nothing feels good and the don't forget to breathe comp um, which I think was one of the best compilations and is still mentioned, still talked about. And just to, for everyone that's listening, to for me to read off some of the bands that were on this very, very early on. Hot Water Music, Christy Front Drive, Mineral, Promise Ring, Fireside, Roadside Monument, Knapsack, Drive Like Jehu, Seven Story Mountain, Boy's Life, Silver Scooter, at, at Ethel Meserve. That's a great list. Yeah, well, fuck, right, <laughs> fuck right off. Give me a break. Let's put, toge- <laughs> let's put together a who's who. Let's put together a who's who of everybody. Honestly, like, I w- I, I'm thinking of, you know, a lot of the compilations that we were talking about, like, you know, the in-flight compilation that Revelation put together, that anti-matter compilation that accompanied the zine. Like, I don't think anybody puts together comps these days that are as good as that because two reasons. One, it's such a pain in the ass to get a bunch of bands who contribute somewhat exclusive songs to it because, of course, they have, like, five million people pulling them in different directions. Yeah. And, uh, two, it's just so hard. Like, it's just such a labor-intensive project that it's just, like, people are like, well, you know, no one's going to buy it. And if we put it up on iTunes, it's like, we can't charge full price for it. And it's like, ugh. It's so sad because that's, like, you know, that was obviously such a, a gateway for so many people, such as myself, to yeah, get into certain bands that I may have never listened to. Like, you know, kind of like what you were referencing at the beginning, where it's like a lot of people were into certain, you know, geographications, where it's like, you know, I never really listened to Boy's Life, if it was for obviously like this comp and the split with Chrissy Front Drive. So it's like, you got to have those gateways. Yeah, it's so true. And, I don't know, and I think part of it, though, is also the fairness to the bands and making sure that those bands get paid, like, you know, if a comp kicks off or or whatever. And that's, it's kind of, it's hard, I think, for indie labels to really, like, you know, kind of, you know, account to bands and, like, really capture those royalties. You know, for one, if you have a record that's, you know, one band, at least you know, like, where to go. But if you have a record that's, like, 13 bands on the one thing, that's the pain in the ass to pay all the bands all in to pay, you know, the band's royalties on it. But in the end, you definitely have to. Like, I mean, and so I don't know if that's held back, you know, some of it. Um, I know that we don't know, like, uh, Better Looking Records won't put up our comps on iTunes um, just because, like, the comps, when we put them out, they were for, like, a limited thing. Like, we did a Holiday Matinee comp, and 
it was kind of more like limited and they give it to us, you know, for a certain amount. Um, and we don't want to like, we don't want to keep selling it, you know, and really like take advantage of, cause I think for the holiday matinee, they're giving it to us for free and we just kind of considered it. You're giving it to us for free for a certain amount of time and we're not going to keep on selling it and just collect all the money, you know, for the rest of our lives type of thing. So we don't really put that stuff up like on iTunes, um, just because it's a pain, but I'm a big proponent of paying royalty to the band in the indie world because I think a lot of them kind of get screwed in the end. Like, because, and it's, you know, and also it's hard to run an indie label too. I mean, I've seen definitely that side of it, like for sure. Um, but yeah, comps are awesome. Yeah, what was the, what was the sound of the, I mean, do you, when that was out, I mean, people still talk about that compilation, not just me and Ray. Like, uh, there's other people that still are infatuated with that. Was that something that you guys felt when you were releasing that and that yeah, whole thing? Yeah, I'm trying to think if I was, uh, if it was right before me. It might have been right before me. But uh, you had to have had yeah. kids call up and say, oh, yeah. I heard this pro- yeah. Promise yeah. Ray song. I, what's the, what else do they have or all that oh, stuff? Oh, totally. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it was a it was a big seller, and it really sold a lot of the stuff in our mail order. I mean, I think that's what was the big deal. Like, is um, you know, they could they would hear the band on that comp, and then they'd go into our, into Saul Goodman the or the Crank mail order, you know, at the time, and later called Saul Goodman, and be able to find those bands, you know, and pick up their their full length, you know, and stuff like that. So, um, yeah, really, it did. It helped tremendously. Like, help people. And and I still pick up you know any sort of like samplers and comps anytime I can, just to check stuff out. And I think digitally, like labels are doing a lot of like digital samplers now. Too. Like on Amazon, you can download free label samplers, you know, from any of the labels, merge anyone. Um, and it's amazing. I do it all the time just to check out anything I can, like for sure. Well, that's kind but of funny. With digital, it's a lot easier. I think it's a lot easier. Now. Well, we well we we can we have another digital undertaking that we need to take is get some of this stuff on Spotify. <laughs> yeah, I know. Yep, you and I have been talking about that. <laughs> we got to get that done. Um, uh, I guess you know, was there anything else kind of about the you know crank days? And I mean, it, for me personally, it was one of the most important labels that I listened to early on that helped sort of guide and it was honest and it was the music was serious there was a meaning to it it had focus it it was all those kind of things that i was looking for at the time and you know i listened to some of the records um and they sound just as new as they did i mean the knapsack stuff um is amazing um fireside stuff for me so i just um, is there any uh, kind of thoughts that, that you had sort of as you kind of transitioned out? Was there any sort of things that kind of jumped at you? Yeah, I mean, I think it was mostly about, like, uh, one of the things I was learning when I was there was just, um, I mean, number one, you know, how hard it is to run an indie label because it, it really was, like, hard. And this was in the beginning of the of downloads of Napster. Like, Napster came out, like, 2001, I think, or something like that. So, um, maybe, wait, maybe earlier. I don't know, but... You're, you're starting to get into that whole thing. Um, so number one, I saw that it, you know, the business is definitely like Jeff was running it as a business. You know, had major label background, and you know, he knew that like you have to run a business, you know, to make it run. Um, but at the same time, I saw that it's about the artists, and it's 
it's a small scene and you know any like if you if you're not treating your artists like you know or if they feel like they're getting screwed somehow then it's just going to snowball and it's going to backfire on you i think um so I, I i just learned that it's about like trying to just be cool with all the artists and make them feel like we're in this together like you know like we're in this struggle together and it's not them versus record label mm -hmm. And because it's just too small, like everything, you know, the whole scene's small and like what we're doing is small. We're not selling a million records, you know, so it's like, you know, on some level, we just got to have fun with it because, you know, one's going to make a killing off this. Although everyone was, you know, we, you know, everyone wanted to, that's for sure. They would rather do that than, you know, work at a pizza joint, like for sure. Um, and, you know, a lot of them had to do both, you know. Yeah. Um, but, uh, so, I mean, I think that's some of the stuff I kind of took with me was, like, you just have to be cool with the band. Like, um, and not not that, you know, not that Crank wasn't cool to the band, but I think that that was one of the things that was at the top of my list, like, a highlight of it, is, like, these bands need to feel like they're in, you know, you're there with them. Um, because that's all you have. You don't have a lot of money to give them. So, well, there, um, there's... There... On that on that point, there's obviously so many labels because it's I th I'm thinking of a random record label, this label called Conquer the World Records. Um, they put out like the very first Voice It's Fire EP, um, and it was just like one of those things where that label didn't have any idea of what they were doing when it came to like exactly what you're saying, taking care of the bands. And then you know like three or four years after the label had kind of you know put out a few records they had the reputation where it's like yo don't work with them because you know they'll either screw you they won't give you the copies of the records that you need and that type of stuff and it was a lot of it was just to say that the person who ran conquer the world records was like some evil shyster but he he no one was prepared for what would happen to these bedroom operations in like the you know mid to late 90s where it's just like hey it started off as a little mail order thing that i could handle from you know 10 pieces of mail a week to all of a sudden like Oh my God! Like I've got like three of my friends helping out. And I have no idea what I'm doing. Like it just gets so, so terrifying pretty quickly. So true. Like I mean, and now it's been one of my pet peeves. Like throughout indie rock, it's like if you know because I mean the first experience you'll you know bad experience I think anyone would have with a you know the label in the indie scene or whatever is buying a mail order record and not getting it, and you're just like, what the fuck? Like come on, people! Like I just gave you ten bucks. Like how can you not send me that record? So you know. So in, in that that times, you know, a million, like when you're dealing with a band. And so my pet peeve has always been like the bedroom labels that they're kids and they think it's cool. And it is cool. It's definitely fun. But in the end, you know, you have to treat this somewhat like a business because that band is relying on you. You know, they just gave you their recording to sell. And if you're not giving them something back, you know, for that, then, you know, and treating them like you know this is a business, but still be cool to them, you know. Then I don't know. That's been my best for sure. Are just kind of indie labels that don't know their shit, <laughs> just don't do it right. Um, and and you know, in not to talk, talk bad about crank, it, crank. I think I I learned that you do have to, you know, kind of on some level treat it like a business and make sure that you know you're you're accounting and doing stuff like that. So um, so. It was good to be at Crank because Jeff was more like a businessman, so I saw, you know, I had to treat it more like a business. And But at the same time, I was always about, like, you know, making sure, like, making sure you treat it like a business and get your shit done. And I think the 
fans appreciate that in the end. So, I mean, the transition to Better Looking Records, um, uh, so I, I became friends with a lot of the bands, like Mineral, um, the Cursive Guys, um, stuff like that. And um, my my partner in Better Looking Records, Dave Brown, he was doing a fanzine called Muddle. Great, great York. fanzine. I know, it was amazing, like super cool. And, you know, just uh, we would deal with each other all the time, you know, um, me being a crank and him doing Muddle. Like, and he, I think he did an interview of Cranky came through and was interviewing different labels and we got to know each other and then he was moving to San Diego. Um, and um, so Crank was kind of like going through a transition and not doing so well. So um, so I pretty much I was laid off from Crank, um, which is, you know, whatever. It's, it's totally cool um, because it's, it's struggled to it. Um, and I uh, got together with Dave Brown and we're like, hey, we should just do kind of one-off things. Like, we know some bands, you know, we're, we're friends with these guys. We should, you know, just do kind of like, our idea was to do a one-off with people that we knew. So I think the first thing was a Gloria Record vinyl. Um, Crank was putting out um, the EP. And so um, so I I did a deal with Jeff where we would do the vinyl for it. So that was BLR number one. Actually, the first thing I ever did was a Sunset 7-inch just on my own. On I called it Market Participant Records just because I wanted to try it. Like I wanted to do a 7-inch all by myself and, you know, do a deal with the band and, you know, just go through that whole process. So, uh, so Dave Brown and I were we got together and we were going to do one-off like releases, basically, um, with bands that we we're friends with. And so I knew a lot of bands being from Crank and new bands from just doing his fanzine. So we did um, our first thing was the Gloria record uh, vinyl. A Crank was doing the Gloria record EP, and so we did a colored vinyl. Like, and I think we did like. Uh, Chessing, I think, was white, and then the next one was red, um, something like that. Um, so we were doing that, and the first release that I ever did, I just by myself, and that was when I was at Crank. I did a seven-inch with Sunday's Best, um, and that was just kind of to do it on my own and go through the process of, you know, talking to manufacturers and figuring out distribution and like all that stuff. Um, so I did that seven-inch, and then we did the. Um, we started doing Gloria Record, and then Holiday Matinee did a compilation. Uh, that was the PR company that Dave Brown was starting. And then number three was um, the Jealous Sound. And uh, that was uh, Pedro from Sunday's Best, who I was really good friends with. And he was starting a band with Blair from Knapsack, and they were calling it the Jealous Sound. And so we decided that we, I was talking with them, and we are like, you know, hey, we got our shit together, and we'll treat you right, and, you know, we just want to do an EP with you, you know, and we'll help you get your name out there and get you guys signed and, you know, type thing. So, you know, let's have fun with it. So we did that and um, and it was just amazing. I mean, that EP was, was just killer. So that, um, that EP is still requested every month on the emo night that we do first Thursdays in New York at Idle Hands. It, it, it's on all these like mixtapes I've made. I mean, that record... That must have been really awesome to kind of, I don't know if you were in the studio or when you first got that master, it must have been pretty amazing to kind of hear all those songs back to back to back. Oh yeah, definitely. It was amazing. Like Mark Trombino mixed, and I remember being in the mixing session with them and just going, what the hell? <laughs> this is amazing. Yeah. What I mean, the hooks, 
Yeah. I mean, totally. Like, and it's it's awesome because it was an extension of Knapsack. It was like, you know, but it was, it was definitely something different, though, too. And but Blair just, you know, it, Blair can't write bad songs. Like, you just, you know. Case in with, point, the new one that just released, what, last week? Uh, the new song? Yeah. Yeah. I know. It's amazing. Like, absolutely amazing. And that's what I love about those guys. It's like, they don't, they don't try to go off on a tangent. You know, they don't decide, oh, we're a country now, or we're more like rip poppy now. They're just like, guess what? This is what we play, and we're going to play good songs. You know, and that's it. Like, it's their sound. Like, they don't try, you know, 10 years later, they're not trying to change their sound mm-hmm. like, at all. You know, or, you know, 50 years later for Blair, because it's still... You can hear, you know, knapsack in it, like for sure. So that's what I just love about them. You know what you're gonna get when you listen to Jello Sound, and just you know, lyrically they're deep and the guitars are amazing, and you know, I just think it. And they're a great team. Pedro and Blair, just an amazing team. So we did the EP. It was blowing up like they were just amazing, and they were touring like that. And so they're gonna do a full length, and they signed with um, I forget what the label's called, but they're through Universal. Um, so they did a deal with them, and um, and then after, like, before the, I don't even, I forget what it was, I think they started recording or something like that, and that label kind of folded, and so they were labelless, they had to do legal things to get out of their deal, you know, because it was kind of through, like, a major label imprint, um, but they got out of it, and they're like, you know what, we're just going to do it with you guys, um, you know, better looking records, and we're like, please do, so, um, so we finished recording the full length and put full length and just had a grand old time um, doing it. But I mean, it was it was huge amount of work, lots of stress because it's just Dave and I doing the label, and you had these guys' lives in your hand, like literally, like you're like this is their career, this is what they want to do. And at the time, I'm doing the label, um, like full time, you know, and every bit of my money tied up in label, basically, like you, I. You know, I wasn't paying myself a salary or anything. Like, it was just like, I need this to take off. And then, you know, if things get going, then cool. Because you need all the money to, like, in the label for everything. Marketing, promotion, you know, whatever type thing. So, um, so it was doing really good. Um, but it wasn't doing, like, you know, like, I, you know, it wasn't livable. Like, I think is what kind of happened with, like, the whole thing. And, um... Anyways, so uh, we started kind of like scaling down, like after a while, and this was after I don't know, I mean a bunch of releases, and we were just having a lot of fun with it. But at the same time, it was business and a ton of stress. Um, and so at some point, it was just kind of like, you know, I need to get a day job type thing. Um, and the bands, I think, like at least Gel Sound, I can't kind of were in the same thing. Like they were touring constantly, but they'd come home. And when you're on tour, you're, you know, you come home and you still have to pay rent, you know, and you still have to like, you know, pay your bills for the next month. And there's not a lot of jobs that are going to let you go out for a month and come back and still have a job type thing. So, um, so I think, you know, people kind of took breaks on it. Um, anyways, they signed with a militia group after that. And I was kind of winding things down and trying to make things easier and just kind of make things kind of flow a little bit easier as far as like, like you constantly put in money like to the label and at some point like you have to not put it in and let it come back and at the same time I was starting I needed to pay the band's royalties too. so anytime we get a distributor check you have to like make sure you're setting enough aside to pay the band their royalties so 
Um, so we kind of started slowing it down and just making sure that cash that came back, we had enough to pay royalties and make sure the bands are taken care of type thing. So they see, anyway, they, see Paul, I'm going to interrupt you. That's your first mistake. You try to take care of the bands. Just let them fend for themselves. You, you, you do what you can. Label. Yeah, you just you 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 made one huge error. I'm sorry. Yeah, I know that was a problem. I know. Exactly. Um, but, you know, yeah, I mean, you know, I don't know. I have a friend in the music industry that's always like, you know, good karma comes back to you type thing. So, um, but, you know, we, we kept on putting it, like we've definitely put out stuff and we've stayed friends with all these bands. And, um, you know, and I paid thousands of dollars in royalty to the band, which I totally feel good about type thing. So, um, and now we're just trying to keep it simple. But anyways, they signed with Militia Group. Um, and, and I don't, you know, I don't know things are kind of like up in there with that, but, um, they're still signed to them, and they, uh, Militia Group has a, I think they, the owner has like a label called uh, Music is Subjective, and so he'll be, from what I understand, they'll be putting it out, um, and I was all for it. I'm like, please, guys, like, I would love a label with real money to take the jealous down and blow them up, you know, and just, you know, get them going, and, because I still had, you know, the first two records, and so we could, we would just continue to pay royalties, and, mm-hmm. you know, stuff would sell, so that's what I've been waiting for for the past eight years for that. yeah right um but uh, i mean they've been working on it non-stop like you know blair took some time off i think and came back to it pedro has been 100 percent, you know like into j sound forever now and um but they they have fully done they've been um they're friends with um nate from sunny day real estate and food fighters who's been helping them out tremendously and getting he them- actually um when i saw the tour um uh, with them on it um oh. he it was i mean he was amped i i told the story in the last podcast but i got to hang with sunny day after and actually brought up you know jealous sound and like you know nate's like all about them and i just thought that was that's this is what this is this is how good that is they it's like they were in good bands they like these bands it's just, it wasn't any like animosity it was like let's help each other out it really is i know it totally is and and I, I was trying to, and I kind of want to be like that too. Like, especially like when the bands go to different labels or whatever, I never hold any grudges. I'm like, please, guys, you know, like go do it and let's make this happen. And, you know, I'll help you out as much as I can and I'll keep paying royalties on stuff. And, you know, it's never, ever been like about animosity ever. Like, yeah, you know, I, when, they, when they go on to something else or whatever. Um, yeah, I just like, I think, you know, this is, I think a lot of people that, either listen to this podcast, go to the website, or just in this genre of music and maybe listen to this five years down the line. I mean, Jealous Sound is that one of those bands, and they're still doing it, and I know everyone is just waiting for this record. I mean, just them playing on that tour, I was pumped um, for them playing with Sunny Day. And then they actually played the next night in Brooklyn at Southpaw, and it was a full set. I mean, it was plenty of kids there, all about my age, um, all had jobs. You know, that was kind of watching it again and and seeing, like, these hooks in the right hands can get places. Yeah, totally. And it's like, I don't know, it's it's such a good time, too. It's like, you know, it was never, I think, a bad time, but, you know, um, I don't know. Sometimes bands can be too self-conscious, and not that gel sound were, but I, I think back in the day of like emo stuff they a lot of bands got really self-conscious about the name and what they're getting pegged at so they started trying to go up on tangents and trying to change their sound 
you know, and that's not what the fans were into, and that's what I've kind of laughed about the Jealous Town. They didn't really care. Like, whatever, I'm packed as emo, fine, I don't care. Like, you know, Blair's out of his punk, you know, hardcore roots. Like, you know, so he doesn't care. Like, sure, I'm emo, I don't care, whatever. Like, what? this is just the music I'm good at, so I'm going to play it. Do you have any insight on that? I mean, I was from the fan side, the radio station side, you know, labels, but I wasn't really... The, that feeling that you said that it was the stigma from the first moment, you mean your girlfriend telling you at the time you didn't want yeah. to see that band because it was yeah. emo. Do you have any sort of insight on, I mean, I, I, I always like to grasp at that sort of meaning and how much it meant to people. And it's sort of these bands, I always kind of remember some Get Up Kids shows where kids would yell out stuff on 4-Minute Mile and Matt would kind of laugh and not want to do it. And now... You know, they no 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 offense to those guys, but they come back, they do the tour, they play those songs, Holy. they get the biggest response. It's like, what was it in their head at that moment? There, I think it, you brought it up where they wanted to just change their sound because they didn't want to be called that. Yeah, right. I don't know. I don't know what it was, and I was. I think you know, I was, I was close to Glory Record Mineral guys, and um, you know, and I think they, you know, they might have went through that a little bit too. And, but I don't know, you know, I think, I don't even know, because it seems like it's a worse word now than it was back then. I think it's a very, very bad word. That's why I did the site. Yeah, totally. Yeah, exactly. Right. Back then, at least it was, you know, it referenced like, you know, good music and, and not that, you know, any of the bands that are, you know, so-called emo now are that bad, but, um, I don't know, you know, I think they were very self-conscious about it, um. But now I think that a lot of them are just, they don't even care. Like, that was the music that they played, and, you know, they, and they look, I mean, I think looking back, you're just like, maybe in the time, you're kind of like too subconscious about it, but now looking back, you're like, you know, the Get Up Kids 4-Minute Mile, those guys are, you know, I don't, you know, I don't know them at all, but I'm sure they're just like, you know what, that was good songs. Like, I don't care what it's tagged at, you know, as, yeah. like, good songs. The, the same I, Mineral Glory record, you know. And the Glory Record, I think they, you know, still, even Glory Record was kind of an emo thing. Like, they didn't try to, you know, go off on any tangents you know, at all. They were just kind of trying to bring in more Britpop, like, I think, more shoegazy stuff. Which is, I thought, shoegazing, there was a bunch of those bands that I think, you know, fans of that genre kind of fell into shoegazer uh, yeah. stuff, too. And instrumental, which kind of brings up sort of, like, kids were way into tristeza like i loved album leaf obviously from that and it's like it kind of went that way too i feel yeah, like um, yeah yeah and so i don't know it's just tag it's just a way to kind of you know explain like you know tag a certain scene and you know my wife and i now like are totally like make fun of you know that say emo and we're always like you know real emo and you know, i'll give you a mixtape of like what real is. yeah but in the end, I don't really care. Like, you know, it's cool. And I love that kids are into whatever, quote-unquote, emo. You know, maybe they'll go back and get into the stuff. And maybe they won't. Like, you know, part of me is kind of like, I go back to some of these bands, and I'm like, you know, I don't know if that's going to hold up in time. Some of it does, but some of it definitely doesn't. Some of it is like, you just kind of have to be there, you know? Yes. And, and yes. that's it. You know, it's like, I don't know if, like, you know, my son is going to really 
some of these bands go, yeah, that was amazing. You know, Great job, Dad. <laughs> you might just be like, uh, I don't know what you're talking about. Like, that's kind of crap. You know? Yeah. Some of them couldn't sing, and some of them are really bad recorders, you know, like recording. And you're just like, you just kind of had to be there. Yeah. Well, the I was at a, a Maritime show, and all these couple, this one younger kid, the reason I bring it up is this one younger kid was yelling Promise Ring songs. Okay. And I was getting offended. And I would, didn't say anything, didn't, didn't do anything. I just watched the show. Maritime ended up playing for like an hour and 45 minutes. Great show. Talked to Davey after, and I asked him, I said, were you annoyed by the kid yelling that out? And I was right. expecting him to say, yeah, but whatever. You know, we made jokes. But he said, which I think is partly why this is all coming out, is that he said, you know what? It's okay. That kid probably never saw Promise Ring. He yeah. knows about Maritime. He cares. He came to the show. He bought stuff, and he's like, "I don't." He's like, "I don't care." He's like, "I just loved that." I'm still like, people still come out and see us play, and cool. I loved that answer, and I didn't expect it, and I loved it because I kind of reiterate. I was like, "Yes, please keep making music." That's and yeah. so it was cool that that kid was he never saw him, but was yelling out the songs, and that was his like moment. That's so true. Yeah. Go ahead, I think uh, I was just saying I think it's a matter also of perspective because it's like you know as as people go through because I think a lot of the backlash that you see with this music scene in particular is the fact that people felt that it was juvenile you know it's like you the the stereotypical like path of a kid is you know whatever you get into punk maybe hardcore, whatever, you know, you get into, you know, softer music such as email, and then obviously you make the transition to, you know, college slash indie rock because you, your music taste has matured and you don't listen to kid shit anymore. Um, and so it's like, you know, th that's kind of the, what I always saw as people being like, you know, looking down upon it or, you know, stigmatizing it or giving it a bad name. But then it's like, obviously, like people that are older, such as obviously on the street talking, where it's like, you know, we have perspective now. We can look at it and be like, well, you know, music is just music. And like, this is very good music. And I can still enjoy this as much as I can enjoy a band that comes out in 2011. And it's like, when you're so entrenched in that, you don't have perspective. And you're just like, oh, fuck that. I didn't listen to Strife three years ago. And it's like, mineral, that's, that's pussy shit. And it's like, oh, yeah. you, don't, you, you don't have that perspective. It's so true. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I think it definitely is perspective. And it's like, I don't know. I, I just think there's always been scenes, like even from the 60s on, you know. And I think everyone that's been in one of those scenes thought their scene was, you know, the shit, you know, at the time. And, I think it's generation to generation to generation, you know, it's all, you know, it has their own thing and, you know, sees it, you know, and some of it lasts, you know, some of the music from generations kind of lasts and kids are into it, you know, afterwards. Um, I don't know. But I think there's something about this scene that will stay. I mean, it did blow up. It did get on top 40 radio. It, it's in the nomenclature of so many people right. and, Whenever someone looks into it, they either go to that what is emo, whatever I think forfa whatever dot com or that site was that was like definition of emo. Um, you know, they start looking at some of the you know if they talk to if there's a Jeff from Thursday interview, he's gonna mention a band um, or oh wait they were in hardcore bands before they were in that and then they kind of go that way. It it all kind of leads back to these bands and I think that will be one of the lasting things, I, 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 I believe. Totally. And I think what was cool about it is, like, the emo stuff kind of brought in 
hardcore kids and the indie rock kids and the rip pop kids, you know, type thing. It's like, you know, because I came at it from more the indie rock, you know, punk rock side, and I I didn't wasn't into hardcore at all until I started getting emo, and I realized like a lot of this stuff, the roots of a lot of this stuff come from hardcore bands, you know, and I was like, wow, that's cool. Um, and what was what I liked about it is it seemed like it seemed like there wasn't. I mean, although maybe back then there was kind of a style, but I mean, you know, Mineral was like jeans and t-shirt, you know, and Cursive would play in shorts, you know, type thing. And I just loved that there wasn't that big of a thing about the style. And it well, was, yeah, I mean, the you know, Cursive the guys was, showed up in a minivan when I saw them. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, right. Totally. Exactly. I remember that. Yeah. Literally, they played, they played brownies in a. They came up in a minivan. Yeah, <laughs> and it was like, awesome. I mean, it was it was ridiculous, but it was like I was like, "What? See, this that is." That, I was yeah. I always laugh about that scene. My, my favorite thing about like speaking about style, um, one of my favorite things and something that I actually tried to rip off and do with my band, but the rest of the guys. The other four guys in my band wouldn't get on board with it. Uh, is Elliot? Elliot, when they released U.S. songs, um, they they all wore like white shirts, like white collared shirts, black slacks, and like a black tie. Um, and they did that for pretty much the entire record cycle. And what they wanted to do is they wanted to create like a blank canvas because obviously, anytime you see a band loading their equipment, I mean, this is obviously when bands didn't have text, <laughs> so. Uh, you had that you had them like you know loading their gear and stuff and of course if they, you see them wearing a band shirt you automatically assume that they sound like this or whatever but they just really wanted to make sure where it's like okay you have no idea what we sound like if you aren't familiar with us beforehand and then they would obviously play and that you know that was when they had jay the guitarist and he would be going ape shit and it was like you know it looked like he was playing in you know a ridiculous hardcore band versus you know this sort of emotionally driven rock and so I just loved, I love that juxtaposition of like, hey, this is how we look and like kind of, you know, bucking the trend of the style and stuff like that. And yeah, I just wish, I wish it caught on in certain ways. <laughs> oh, that's exactly right. I remember, yeah, being at like, um, I mean, for lack of a better word, Screamo show. And it was, you know, it, it was some like, you know, San, Fran or, uh, San Fernando Valley band playing. And, um, you know, they're just normal, like suburban, you know, kids. And you didn't need, you know, you didn't need to be punk rock or, you know, dress a certain way or anything. Then they played. It was just so intense, like rolling on the floor, screaming. I was like, that is amazing. You know, it, it was not about whatever. It wasn't about so much the style, just the intensity. And and I just loved it. But then there was also style. There's a lot of the San Diego bands, like, you know, Heroin and Antioch Arrow and stuff like that. And or, Nation Ulysses, that's not necessarily emo, but there was definitely like a certain style to that stuff, which was cool too. Like I loved like their style, what they brought. Right. Like they, and clearly it's like they had an agenda, you know. And it's like, you know, people could obviously make arguments of bands that are existing today, you know, that you see in alternative press, like you know, using a random band like Black Metal Brides, where it's like you know their their whole thing is that. I mean, I, I don't. I can't even really describe their look if you haven't seen it. But uh, yeah. it's it, it's pretty uh, it, it's pretty impressive to say the least. Um, so of course, like you could argue that that band had an agenda, such as a way like a band like you know Swing Kids has an agenda. But right. um, obviously, they're on two completely different levels, and their agendas are probably 
completely uh, different. Whereas, you know, Swing Kids is like, you know, we're not going to make millions. Whereas Black Belt Brides is like, yo, we are going to make millions. <laughs> totally. Yeah, exactly. Right, right. And they're bringing like a certain, like they, they're in front of aesthetic and that was it. Like, and right, and they didn't care. Like, they were making an art statement, you know, more than they were like trying to blow up, you know, type of thing, which, which is awesome, you know, like in itself. I think that's totally true. The, I mean, the one of the bands that, um, uh, that I think same thing was Engine Down was all about the sort of minimalistic, having lights, doing that sort of whole vision in sort of the screamo when they were actually kind of a screamo band <laughs> early on. Um, and then I know Refused. I mean, all black. Political, yeah. political agenda completely like damn the man and um love that i know absolutely like so, and they, yeah they got the aesthetic down perfect <laughs> like i mean it was amazing yeah that was yeah that was definitely it um well i know i mean paul is there stuff that you know you mentioned you know i i think it uh i think the listener would love obviously you being involved in this scene and and working it to I've considered some of the best labels from this era. Is there stuff that maybe we have missed, or you know, we love to play some of those tunes, or is there stuff that kind of stuck out for you? Oh, yeah, definitely. Like, and maybe I'll just do like a bunch of stuff, and we can just you can like play it at the end. Like it'll be just a big one. Totally. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, I was gonna play um, strictly ballroom LA band and um, like Jimmy T, who. Um, went on to do Postal Service and Pentel. That was his, like, quote-unquote emo band at the time. With um, And it was a bunch of guys from KXLU, like, um, you know, a guy that was in Featured Sparks and um, uh, Paul Larson that does a ton of music in L.A. Like, I mean, he's been in so many bands in L.A. Like, it's amazing. Um, that was, like, their band at the time. Um, and it was just great stuff. Like, it was their take on kind of the emo thing. Um, and kind of arty um but just awesome just amazing stuff they did one record and that was it like that was i think they have a seven inch too but oh, that was awesome it. so I was, and i was gonna play some of the classics too like mineral and a couple of um the blr stuff but i mean blr like i mean i came from all you know crank and you know all that and that whole scene was my thing like for sure but i think with blr i was trying to i mean even though i was bagging on bands who like you know, whatever, tried to change the thing, but I was, not that I wasn't trying to be stigmatized, I was just kind of, with BLR, I was playing, you know, I was signing stuff that I liked, like, a lot of, in the beginning, we were signing a lot of bands that we already knew, and we, and we were really, like, a business, in the business sense, we were trying to sign stuff that was going to sell, you know, um, like, we couldn't take big risks, it was our own money, we put in credit cards and cash, and <laughs> that's how we started it. Wow. So, um, so we were paying, you know, so that's why, like, we were signing things that, you know, we knew at least would sell something. You know, the Jealous Sound, Cursive, Lawyer Record, um, uh, you know, stuff like that. The Good Life, um, you know, Tim from Cursive's solo project. Like, we're so lucky to have that first record. It's amazing. I think a band we haven't mentioned that needs, I mean, it's an hour to itself. I mean, No Knife. Um, oh. that, that that No Knife record you, you guys put out is... Mm -hmm. Right for Romance is an amazing record, and we say amazing a lot, but No Knife is, I think, one of those just unheralded bands and 
records that is influencing people. I don't think if they're even realizing it. Yeah. Oh, definitely. I know. And I don't think they are either. And I loved, I mean, I remember when that record came out and I think it was Stripes that, um, like was putting out a record around that time. And their last photo, one of the guys was wearing a no knife riot from a romance t-shirt. And I was just like, <laughs> you are the coolest guy in the world. We can't even, there's no way we can get the press that you're now giving us, you know, like we can't hire big press people or anything like that. And just, and that's what it was about, just kind of word of mouth. And he was representing, like, for sure. Like, so, um, but yeah, I mean, that's just an amazing record. And, you know, the guys had done three records um, on Time Bomb. And I think they're kind of at the end of things. But um, their producer was kind of like, just do one more record, please. And um, and they did. And, you know, and we were friends with them. Dave was in San Diego and so knew all the guys. And we had a thing going. So, um so we were able to put that out, and the guys are the nicest guys in the world, and that's what we've always looked for, is just kind of like, you know, easy, easy people to deal with, and, you know, people that are going to work hard, and just amazing songwriters, that's really what it came down to, and so we would put out other stuff too, like, you know, Trackstar, like San Francisco, like indie rock band, like, um, you know, one of the guys was an Eiler set, and some just classic, like, indie pop bands. Um, we did Ides of Space, which was Australian band, I don't even know how I found out about them, but I found an EP by him, and it was, you know, I love shoegazy stuff, like Ride and My Bloody Valentine, and they were just, like, indie rock shoegaze, like, perfect for me. And so we put out a full length, and I, like, spent all my money to get them over here to tour and, you know, beg the Gloria record to take them out. So it was a Gloria record, Her Space Holiday, I just space tour, and I went on that tour because I had to drive them, you know, the van and stuff because they're from Australia. And um, so there's different stuff. So we, we kind of, like, we were all, kind of all over the place, but it still all made sense. When I look at the catalog, I'm like, this all makes sense. Like, if, you know, anyone who's into Cursive will like I'd Space, or anyone who's into J-Town, you know, will at least listen to Trackstar and appreciate it, you know, or Makila Dora or any of the, you know, and obviously Tristeza, you know, this psychedelic, like, instrumental stuff. Like, they totally came from the scene, the San Diego hardcore scene, and, you know, just a lot of stuff just kind of makes sense. Yeah. But we tried not to, like, kind of tag ourselves either. But not be too self-conscious about it. Too. Yeah, no, I, I think I think it did make that transition. I, I think it really kind of it was good records. It, it it came from a good place, and it all sort of connected. And that's why I think. I mean, it was I was looking at these bands and looking at how they all connect. And yes, I was obsessed and bought every record or got one in the mail from you as we <laughs> as they were released. Right. But they they it, they did all make sense. I mean, Boilermaker, that that yeah. record, it, I mean. I know we say this all the time on the show, but for the people that haven't heard these records, search it on Spotify, email me, I will help you find these records to just sort of, I mean, I think Boilermaker, that isn't like unheralded record in itself. Oh man, yeah, totally, yeah. And the singer a few years ago passed away from um, from skin cancer. I did not know that. Yeah, totally, Taryn Durfee, and he's just a legend, he's a legend in San Diego, and um, I'm going to put like a, I want to find a way to put it. I think I'm just going to put it up on the BLR site, just a download of a song that um, Slow Dance Records, like a good friend of mine, put out this comp. And there's a No Knife song on there that um, that No Knife and Taryn from Boilermaker did together. And it's a killer song. Like, it just, you know, you're just like, whoa, this is deep. 
um, just knowing everything around around it. But it's a great concept. I'm going to put that up on the DLR site under No Knife just as a free download. Let me know. Um, I will link that to Washed Up Emo and send it oh, out. Cool. And, um, oh, I think that'll be a huge. That'll be such a great thing for people to hear. Yeah, yeah, it's really good. And then I mean, we went off on you know and did like UK bands like Gold Rush and. Mm-hmm. Electric Soft Parade, like I can't even believe we put on Electric Soft Parade record. Like they were, <laughs> you know, they were like, you know, huge in the UK. I remember when their first record came out, and people, you know, talking about it here, and it was never really released in the US. And you know, three records down the line, like we're able to put it out in the US, and the coolest guys ever. And it just baffles me when I look back on some of the stuff. I'm like, how did I, who, who am I to have worked with these guys? And how did they trust me to put out their stuff? Because you know? you're a good dude. <laughs> But also, I mean, I think Dave and I just kind of brought this sense of like we're we just want to put our heads down and work hard, like that's it. Yeah, you know, and we'll treat you right type of thing. And you know, it's not always going to work out, and you know, we're realistic, and you guys are realistic, and things happen. But you know, we're definitely going to do our best, and I think that's all they cared about in the end. It's like let's do our best, and I'm still in touch with any of them. You know, I still do accounting every month. I get my digital statement. And input into QuickBooks books and keep accounting of like every penny, literally pennies now wow. from digital that come in. And it's just, but I still, you know, I, I have 10 years worth of records in my QuickBooks. So I have to better back it up. But, um, but that's, I don't know. That's, well, that's, that's I mean, just, actually. just like your friend in the music industry said, <laughs> karma does come around. If it's someone still at a label that is sort of, you know, d- not as active anymore and still doing the royalties and paying out the bands there's <laughs> i think i i think we both know the answer uh um, oh, yeah. I, I think cool. that's awesome um, right we're at a point where we're kind of like uh, in a point because it's like we don't spend a lot of money on stuff because we're not really signing new stuff um so we don't have huge investments so we're able to take that money put it in the label and pay out royalties and make sure everyone is you know up to date and cool with everything then we're starting like Tristeza and there's a New York band Ravens and Chimes that um, we still like deal with and so like Tristeza's last record they recorded it themselves and we helped distribute it for them and we did it with them and we kind of helped uh, you know a little bit of marketing and stuff like that and really get it up everywhere digitally and so we're kind of like a little bit more on that side of things where we help them out but we can't you know we can't spend a ton of money on investing in the band just awesome because I have a day job, like, and so I'm. I feel like I'm in a position to really like give it 150 percent, you know, the stuff that they deserve. Yeah. I would rather, you know, be on a label that's like full force and it has people, you know, constantly out there talking to people. Um, but but if they want to do something real simple and you know and it makes sense, you know, it's friends of ours like Ravens and Chimes and you know, um, Cesar, then you know then we do kind of like simple things like that, but. Um, even then, even when I say it's simple, it's still a lot of work. <laughs> no, I bet. No, the the transition. I mean, still in the game, still doing it. I think that's I think that's a testament to to all that as well, and um, still still working at a label and. <laughs> right. That's great. Yeah. yeah totally. Yeah. Hey, I, I I I had a few random questions for you, Paul, and this kind of sure. just like runs runs the gamut. Um, one of them, I mean, not to bring it down, but, uh, you know, I always like, obviously, we're speaking about a lot of positive things, and I always like to temper it with, you know, what you may have learned. I mean, I know you were talking about 
obviously your accounting and, you know, the ability for you to kind of carry that over. Um, but, you know, what, what do you feel is kind of like, you know, the biggest, whether biggest, I guess, disappointment, you know, in your label for whether it was like a better looking, whether it was a crank where you guys were like, all right, this record's going to pop and we're going to do all this stuff. And then, you know, for like one reason or another, it didn't. And you guys were just kind of left being like, what the hell? And maybe not even so much from like a financial perspective, but just kind of a, man, we really wanted this thing to go. Um, yeah, I mean, it, it's even like a bad story. I think it's just more a realistic story. It would be like, um, you know, we put out Kill Them With Kindness, like the J-Sound record, and they were touring a ton. Um, and they were on this one tour, and they dropped off of the tour. And, I, you know, and I, I, me personally, I think they're just, uh, it was like a kind of like being a little, they're having that trouble with the self-conscious thing. I think that they're, they're thinking that the crowd wasn't with them, like it wasn't their sort of crowd. Um, and maybe they're right. They're, you know, they totally could be right. But anyway, at that point, when they dropped off, I was at a point where, um, you know, like I, cause I've never like paid myself a salary from BLR. So I was kind of at a point where, you know, if it was too much of a risk. And so I was just kinda like, I got to get a day job. Like I definitely, you know, because at that point, like it, they were dropping off the tour and I just saw that as, you know, like a stock, you know, <laughs> like getting killed for a bad call or whatever, you know, from CNBC or whatever. And so, you know, I, I was just like, I got to get a day job. And so that would be, I think that would be like just a realistic point in like the BLR career. And we kept going after that, you know, we were still putting out records and, um, you know, we were, we did a, like a new distribution deal with, um, uh, EA and, and independent label group at that time and um, so we were still like, definitely plugging away and still we signed Electric Soft Parade and Gold Rush after that but um, but I just remember that that was a clear like point in the BLR time where I was like I gotta you know get a day job like um, because this isn't gonna support me you know and also I think I needed to take that pressure off myself to get the label to a point where it can you know pay my bills and so that was, I think, a lot of, like, and, you know, a positive note, you know, it kind of allowed me that I had a day job. I didn't have to now, you know, try to figure out how BLR is going to pay me. It doesn't have to pay me because I have a day job. So, um, so but anyways, I remember that point clearly where I was, they're dropping off the tour. I'm like, I got to get a job, you know, and that's it. Like, <laughs> that's, that, that, that's funny where it, that, that was just kind of like the eye-opening experience where it's like, all right, well, you guys did this, and I will do that. <laughs> I know, totally. It was, right, and, and it was, we were still putting the record and everything, you know, everything, you know, kept going. It wasn't, like, they, you know, it wasn't a big deal to them that I was in a job, that's for sure. Because, and one thing that I loved about it, and it was such a struggle, like, you know, financially and just working nonstop, and you have this stress on you because you have these guys in your hands, but you're in the trenches with them. Like, so... As much as when they complain like they're super poor, I was able to say I'm super poor too, you know. And so you were really in touch with them, you know, um, which I think they appreciated too. Oh yeah, oh yeah. It's, it's, it's a good it's, thing to be poor with them. But. Yeah, it's way it's way more meaningful when you're in it kind of together as opposed to taking a salary from a label. Yeah. Um, on that, and, and then on that, on the flip side of it, like what you know what was kind of the most, uh, whether it was like endearing or proudest kind of the, the moment where you were like, I'm really like, you know, I'm really glad that I've, you know, devoted my life to this. Cause obviously, you know, all of us are for lack of any intelligence, you know, have been involved in music for longer than we care to admit. Um, 
but we have those moments that obviously keep pulling us back in where it's just like, oh, this is why I do what I do. Um, was there like a defining moment that you kind of had with, uh, you know, your, your musical career that was like, yes, this is exactly why I yeah, I mean, yeah, I don't think there's one moment. I mean, it would be a ton. Like, every show, like, I go to, like, you know, where my bands are playing, and I'm just like, whoa, really? Like, I get to do this? Or, I mean, I don't know. Just any time I even just look at the website, I'm like, whoa, that's crazy. I can't believe what Dave and I, you know, built together. Like, it's pretty insane. Um, so, you know, it's, I don't think it's one specific time. It's just any time I look at any of the releases, and I'm just like, wow, that's crazy. I can't believe I did that. Ray, are you good? I'm good. You've uh, you've lived through this podcast, Paul, and I'm proud of you. <laughs> I know. I love it. It was fun. It was totally fun. Paul, you have also heard Ray's last call-in from, from the road on a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I, <laughs> well, it went, it went smoothly besides two hang-ups and your garage band crashing, so it could have been much worse. I think it's because I had too many things open, and I was like doing a quick little research on Makeout Club, and I think Makeout Club crashed garage band. <laughs> I think you, I, I think you might have been uh, downloading some pirated movies as well. No, I don't do that. I do that. I do that on my iPad. <laughs> I'll play the Death Cabs 405 for you, Ray. Nice. Oh, that's perfect. That's perfect. Thank you for listening to the Washed Up Emo podcast. Don't forget to stay in touch via the website, washedupemo.com, and at Washed Up Emo on Twitter. Uh, we have a lot of great guests coming down the line, um, so subscribe, tell your friends, and feel free to send in comments or any suggestions um, for future guests. Uh, we will try to fulfill them. Um, and on behalf of Ray and myself, uh, thank you so much for listening. Stay in touch.